It is so good to see your faces again, to uh, be in the same room together again. It, it is a joy. I feel like we've been waiting years. It's only been months, but we've been waiting years. So online continues, but now we can say on campus continues as well. And it's a both and. And our, our church family, you think about here on campus, online, Different generations, cultures, personalities, all coming together, uh, following Jesus together daily. And as we move forward, right now, we're opening up our campus. It's uh, tonight, Saturday nights at 5, Sundays at 9, and we're just going to take this one step at a time. This tonight is, I said reopening, but we were open for a while on Saturday nights, so it's kind of a re reopening or something like that, but this will be moving forward the plan to be together. And if we need more room, we'll open up another service. We'll find solutions. But this is so good to be in this season now. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He, he's sustained us. He's bringing us back together. And what a week. Uh, all the smoke, all the fires. What a year, really. 2020. I don't know about you, but so many times this week, I've been thankful for the firefighters, the first responders, and they are unselfishly serving. I mean, 36-hour shifts. Can you imagine? Have you ever worked a 36-hour shift with almost no sleep? And so they're protecting homes, protecting us. Let's continue to pray for them. I'm grateful how our church has been so connected and looking out for each other and also our neighbors and offering help, prayer. Sometimes it's meals that are brought uh, offering homes to open up, and just together, we're going to love each other, stick together through this difficult season and through this difficult time. And I think we need to pray for rain. I know usually in the sound we're praying for some sunshine, but now we're going to be praying uh, for some rain this week as well. If you've been joining along this summer, we've been going through the book of Isaiah. Someone came in today and showed, here's all my notes from the book of Isaiah. And, and that is exciting to see people getting into God's word. This is the last message. Uh, Isaiah's 66 chapters, and uh, we've moved through pretty quickly this summer. Uh, this is the final message in the series. The series is Dear America. We've really been talking about our souls and also the soul of a nation. And our nation right now needs prayer, needs Jesus. When things get crazy and there's a crisis, it's important to focus on what is core. Don't get sidetracked on the periphery. Focus on what's core in a crisis. And what's core in a crisis? Isaiah points it out. Jesus, God's word, love one another. Focus on what's core in a crisis. Jesus, God's word, love one another. That's been the message of Isaiah. It is timely for our country right now. We went into this series thinking that this is going to be an interesting stretch for our country. And we all love our country and we're praying for America. And as we go through Isaiah, there's so many parallels between the Israelites then and our country now. Uh, the next series that we're going to enter into, the book of Genesis, Relationship Roadmap. As you consider the first book in the Bible, it's a book of foundations. And we're going to talk about relationships. So many people have been disconnected, isolated. We're going to talk about family relationships, friendships, community relationships. And we're going to see what does God's word say about the different relationships in our lives. Okay, I said we'd pray for rain. Let's actually pray for rain. Amen? Uh, it's one thing to say we're going to pray. It's another to pray. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you answer prayer, that you care about us. God, we worship you, and we know, God, that you are greater than any pandemic. You are greater than our fears. You are greater than our isolation, uh, our weaknesses. You're greater. 
our conflict, controversies, you're greater, politics, you're greater. Lord, anything we're facing right now, you're greater. And Lord, because you have all power, we pray like Elijah prayed. Elijah in the Bible praying for the weather and you answered prayer. So God, we pray that rain would come down this week, that fires would go out and that you'd strengthen the firefighters, those serving on the front lines, the, the first responders. God, give them extra courage, extra perseverance. And God, we thank you that we're together tonight. And again, by your grace, we are here together and we're giving you praise together. We want to follow you, Jesus. We pray in your name, amen. Something new. God wants to do something new. That was the message from heaven to the hearts of the people, from God in a personal way. He declared to the Israelites that he is going to do something new. And they were trying to take it in. What is this new thing that God's going to do? Because the Israelites were stubborn. They were stubborn, and we can all relate. We've all got some stubbornness, and they were stubborn in sin. They didn't want to change. They wanted to do things their way, not God's way. And as a result, there came an invasion. The Babylonians came in, and then the people were taken into exile, and still they didn't want to change. Changing your heart is one of the most important things in life. But it also is really difficult sometimes to trust God and let him do a deep work in your heart. And the Israelites struggle, just like people in our country and all of us struggle daily. Do we trust God? Do we follow God? And God's saying, I'm doing a new thing. I would say in the year 2020, we're hungry for a new thing. After going through this COVID pandemic, and not only do we have this pandemic, but then we've got all the controversy. I mean, different people, some think it's not very legit. Some think it's pretty serious. Some have lost loved ones and their family to COVID. Some haven't seen much, you know, damage at all from COVID. And there's a range. You talk to the medical community, you kind of get different opinions. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of controversy attached to this pandemic. And then you look at the statistics and you see that in homes, violence is up, abuse is up, suicide, divorce. There's just so many things that are happening in increased intensity in our country right now. And then we had the fires as well. So there's all this happening and we're crying out, God, would you do something new? Would you send rain? Would you get rid of these fires? Would you clear out the pandemic? Would you restore relationships? God, would people in our country return to you in such a powerful way? We're crying out for something new. God spoke in Isaiah chapter 43 that he would do something new. It's the end of the book of Isaiah, but we're talking about a new thing. Isaiah chapter 43 God says, starting in verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. This is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again. Extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Starting out, there's a reference to the Exodus, breaking out of slavery in Egypt and God's deliverance. And that Exodus, a first Exodus, would be encouraging if you're in exile because you want a second Exodus to come back to the land. 
The Israelites are going to go into Babylon, 586. They're going to be taken away. They're looking forward to a second exile, exodus, leaving exile to come back to the land. And then ultimately, Isaiah talks about this third exodus, really, which is ultimately we're going to leave earth and, and we're going to enter into God's presence. So different pictures historically of the exodus. And it's interesting here, and you might read it in a little bit of dissonance, because God is talking about what he did to free people out of slavery in Egypt. And then right after that, you read, wait, don't think about the past. It's like, wait, you're just talking about the past, God. Now you don't want us to think about the past. What does that mean? It's not sin to look back and consider the past, but you can't live in the past. So be grateful for what God has done in the past, in the great memories and freedom from slavery in Egypt. But at the same time, what else have you learned from the past? Because we all, we make mistakes, we do different things, and we want to learn from the past. But ultimately, it's not about living in the past. It's are you ready right now? Are you ready today for what God wants to do? Something new. He's declaring to the people he was going to do something new. Well, what is this new thing that God's doing? And there's three new things we're going to look at today from the end of Isaiah. And God is doing a new work. All these are good things. All these are very good things. The first new thing, God declares that he gives us a new name. A new name. Isaiah chapter 62. And I'm going to start in verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or your name or your land be desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. Uh, What does that mean? You will no longer be called desolate. You will no longer be called deserted. You will no longer feel so isolated. God gives you a new name. Well, what is Hephzibah? Hephzibah, it literally means God takes delight in you. That's your new name. God takes delight in you. Beulah, married, a covenant relationship with God. Instead of deserted and feeling, you know, so isolated, God takes delight in you. That's your name. And God is entering into this covenant. Now, a name is significant, but a name means far more than just a name. A name is your identity. Where do you find your identity? In other words, who are you? How would you answer that? And even more importantly, whose are you? Uh, Belonging. That's part of identity, belonging. And then also, who do you belong to? Uh, We want to belong to far more than just ourselves. Uh, We belong and we belong to. Who we are, whose we are, this is all our identity. When your identity is healthy in life, you have security and contentment. When your name and your identity are healthy, you have secure and contentment daily. Uh, This is what God says, and I like this picture of God pursuing. And this is Isaiah 65 and verse 1. God says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. What is God saying? Here am I. Here am I. Do you ever hear that whisper of God talking to you, distracted, 
despair, discouraged, and he's saying, here am I. He's pursuing with the message, here am I. In other words, your identity is in me. It's not in your job. It's not in your work. It's not in your accomplishments. Those will be a cruel God. It's not in your possessions. It's not in your bank account. It's not in your resume. It's not in your gifts. It's not in your intelligence. It's not in your education. It's not in your abilities. It's not in the people that you love the most. Your identity is not even there. Uh, All those are good things, but God is saying your identity doesn't primarily land there. God is saying when it comes to your name and who you are and whose you are, your identity is in him. And this is deeper than the law, deeper than education, deeper than effort. This is on the soul level, a work of the soul that we need in our nation now that we would return or turn to God for the first time. You might be feeling, well, in 2020, you know, I used to be able to do this, but now I can't do that. I used to have this, and now I can't have that anymore. And what do I do? Because I can't do this, and I can't have that, and things aren't like they were before. And what is God saying in the middle of that? Here am I. When there's so many less options and we feel that restriction and we're grieving and we're hurting, what is God saying? Here am I. Return to me with all your heart, your name, your identity. It is so good in the Lord. When that sinks in from our head to our heart to our souls, when that starts to sink in, we kind of have a little skepticism sometimes. And we're like, wait a second, it can't be that good. I'm not sure it's that good. Can it really be that good? This almost feels too good. That's when you know that you're honing in. When you start to feel like this is too good, that's it. That's it. Well, I was shopping recently, and sometimes different products kind of jump out. And you think, wow, is that product really that good? Uh, Take a look at what jumped out to me. And there it is, new from Post, we have Twinkies cereal. I have never seen this before, new. And you take a second look here, uh, a little closer look, and there we have it. It's new. I don't know how long you can call something new. I've been listening to a radio station that's been saying they're new for two years. But I don't know how long these have been out, but this is the first time I saw them. And I thought, wait a second, of course they're going to be delicious, right? Are they nutritious? Uh, So I had to take a closer look. I'm going to bring these home. And oh yeah, so nutritious. Absolutely. That's the confirmation I needed. Look at all that thiamine, 60%. Thiamine. I mean, that's just great. Who knows what thiamine does inside of our bodies, but there's a lot of thiamine because I know when I bring this cereal home, the kids are going to be saying yes, yes. And then Lori and I are going to kind of look at each other and there's going to be that moment of what'd you bring home? And, and, and is this as good as it looks, this Twinkie cereal? And I kind of get that look from Lori like, well, there's a lot of sugar in there. Amen. So there's going to be a sugar shock. There's going to be a a sugar crash. Uh, What is this cereal going to do to teeth? Well, I can't tell you until we eat a whole bunch of it and then measure what that does. But, you know, if Dennis really needed some action, if business was slow, can you imagine if you just got this package from your dentist and it was like five boxes of Twinkie cereal, right? <laughs> business is on, cavities are coming. There's a lot of artificial stuff. There's preservatives in there. And you say, okay, wait a second. This is good. It's got a few things, but it's, it's good. It's good. When the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good, I think sometimes we're not sure if we really believe that. We're not sure if we really want to embrace it. It's kind of like the Twinkies. Oh, it says new. It says good. I know it it, it might be sweet. 
Is it delicious? Is it nutritious? How nutritious? And we kind of come to God like, well, God, how sufficient are you? How good are you, God? Are you really worth seeking? I'm not so sure. And we've had enough experiences in life, haven't we, that we thought something would be so good. We thought this career, this job would be so good. We thought having this amount of money would be so good. We thought having a house, we thought getting married, we thought finally life will be good because we have these things and we got a real big taste of it and then we realized, you know, it wasn't quite all that. And so we come to God sometimes with a little bit of skepticism, cynicism, kind of holding back, God, are you as good? Is this, you know, being in your family, this name that you really desire me, could it be that good? And sometimes we're reluctant. And this is where grace comes in. I want to point out the difference between Jesus and religion. Here's Jesus is the way. And here's the way of his grace. Think Jesus first in that relationship. He's the Savior of the world, the Messiah, faithful with every promise, fully God, fully human, died on the cross for our sins, risen. Okay, out of this relationship with Jesus, we now have a new name and an identity. So identity comes next. And then we embrace that. It's his grace. We didn't earn it. And from that, our character starts to change from the inside out. Jesus working in us. And then out of that, out of the overflow, there's this conduct. And we just have this love for people that starts to, again, overflow. That is the way. It's the way of relationship and grace. The way of religion is very different. Religion tries to turn this around and say religion is about conduct. Jump higher. Jump through more hoops. Jump better. And if you do it really good long enough, then finally we'll say you've got good character. And if you have enough good character, then maybe we'll consider you, maybe they will call you a saint someday. Well, when you put your trust in Jesus, you're already called a saint, a priest, an ambassador. You're already called family. But instead, religion tries to earn it. And then maybe I'll be good enough one day where Jesus will look at me and he'll see all these good things I've done and maybe he'll accept me. Do you see the difference between relationship with Jesus and religion? And we've got so many religious people. Even if you kind of know the way of grace, it's easy to drift back into religion. I've got to earn God's love. I've got to earn his thing. And we're going down this performance track. It's cruel. And so many things in life are performance, but this is not performance. Identity is not performance. It's just not based on performance. And the difference, how freeing this is. Listen, following Jesus, it's not like before you take a shower, you got to climb in the sink and get cleaned up enough to get in the shower. No, that's not how it works. Uh, you come in as you are and Jesus will take over. Uh, we come to him by grace. It's a relationship. It's a new identity. And as people are following Jesus, he really wanted his followers to understand identity. I want to go back to John chapter 13 and Jesus is going to be leaving. He's going to be ascending to heaven, death, resurrection, ascension. Now take a look what he says. My children, that's identity. You're my daughters. You're my sons. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. So he's speaking truth here. He's giving a little bit of warning. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Right now, he's at the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven. He will return one day. Now he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Something new, Jesus says a new command. Now when he says new, is this the first time they've ever heard it? No. This is throughout the Bible. Love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that just runs throughout the whole Bible. It's not like, whoa, love. Okay, this is new. That's not what's going on. But Jesus says, love one another. 
another level of love that you haven't had before for people, another experience, another focus. In other words, you're going to be so secure in your identity that even when I ascend to heaven, you're still going to know you belong to me. I'm still going to be with you. And then you know what? You're going to serve because whoever is secure in the Lord serves, sacrificially serves. The context here, he just washed their feet. Radical service. He's going to die on the cross for their sins. Radical service. And so with that security and identity, then we're freed up to serve people joyfully, not out of resentment, but with love. The same love that Jesus describes there is the same love in Isaiah that God has for us. And in this section of a new name, uh, I want to read, this is Isaiah 62, verses 11 and 12. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, not because they earned it, but because of his grace. And you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. Uh, Jesus is the way. Your name isn't deserted. Your name is sought after. Your name is the Lord delights in you. Don't carry around a spirit of despair. That's not your identity in Jesus. Instead, give him praise because of his grace. So let that identity sink in because I tell you every week there's going to be a temptation to shift your identity and find it in something else instead of the Lord. But he gives us a new name, which leads to a second new good thing, a new trust. Take a look at, this is Isaiah chapter 66, starting in verse 1. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where is my resting place? Where will it be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem, he says, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So what does it mean to trust God? What does it look like? It means to have a humble heart, he says. It takes a humble heart to trust God. And then also honoring his word, believing his word. A humble heart that believes his word is trusting the Lord. God also refers to the house that you will build for me. And this goes back a few hundred years earlier. The first major, you know, huge temple that was built was built by Solomon. And this was a little more than 900 years before Christ. It took seven years to build. There were about 30,000 Israelites building it. You think of Mount Moriah there. It had the gold, the timber, the, the stones. It was, you know, just amazing looking. And, and Solomon built it. And then this is what Solomon says. This is going back to 1 Kings, which is a history of the Israelites. 1 Kings chapter 8. And this is what Solomon says. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Do you see what a great and healthy perspective Solomon had? He built this temple with the help of, you know, many people coming together. And he was saying, wait a second, how could God even dwell, fit in? How could this temple contain God? Like, God is so great, and all we have is just a a little temple right here. Well, he starts out with that healthy perspective, but you know what? It gets tainted over time, and pretty soon there's a religious view of God in the temple. 
And what happens is exactly what Solomon said shouldn't happen. And the people started to have a mindset that this is the temple where God is contained. And it led to uh, kind of a compartmentalization of God. Oh, God probably can't do that. And you just go to the temple. God almost became like a good luck charm. And the temple can become almost superstitious as well. But ultimately, when you try to box God into a religious system or a temple, you're trying to control God, contain God, and compartmentalize God. And you say, well, that's so Old Testament. But I want to tell you today, it's so easy to have a mindset in America that God is just contained to this building, and God is contained one hour a week, one day a week, one place. God is so contained. And what's happened to our faith when all of a sudden the building wasn't opened, and now we can't be building-centric and program-centric. It's like, well, where's our relationship with God? Where is God? Is he only in the building? And, and then the perspective Solomon gives is actually earth is just like his footstool. Sometimes our kids, you know, they're looking for the same footstool at our house. And it's like, okay, that little footstool, the earth is like a footstool for God, his greatness. So we think about the parallels between Solomon's temple and we've got a church building here, which we're so grateful for. And what is it um, in terms of the building? What is it at the core of the building? So I want to kind of laugh with you this week because uh, this was going to be a reopening week. And what happened? Uh, well, power went out. Did anyone else have power out at their house? Okay, yeah, I see a lot of hands. So it's reopening week, and then the power's out in the building here for a while. And then we've got these projectors that are way past their estimated lifespan. And these two projectors on the screen, they kind of just fade and they might be gone for weeks. And then you like work on them and work on them and pray over them and then they kind of come back. So they're really at the end and I'm just joking and calling these projectors Lazarus. That, that's their name from now on. Lazarus was dead, he came back. These projectors have each done a couple Lazarus moves. And, but, but tonight, I mean, today they're up, they're up. But I was just laughing. It's like, are, are projectors going to work? And then the LED wall, which the projectors, you know, are going to be gone. The LED wall um, here, you know, happened because of the fires. It was supposed to be here. Now it just got pushed back a few weeks. And so that happened. And then our air conditioning it's down. Uh, you know, the temperature's okay, but the air conditioning's down. And so all this is happening on reopening week and processing through this. So it was kind of a crazy week. Uh, and then we're just starting out simple. Two people leading worship. Pretty simple. So what we're really doing here is trying to train you for the mission field. Because some of you are going to go overseas and this is what it's going to be like. So now you're ready. I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. So that's what's going on right here. But all that to say, what's important What's really important? I'll tell you what's important. Trusting God. That's what it's all about. If all those things not available, it's about trusting God. Well, by faith, Lord willing, you know, in a couple weeks or as time moves forward, we're going to have the LED wall, right? Uh, we're replacing the air conditioning units. Takes a little time, but, you know, we're going to have air conditioning temperatures going to be great. We'll have, you know, a more full praise band as well. So all that will be happening. Uh, as we look forward, you know, we'll have more people, more services. You know, it's trust God in phase one, trust God in phase three, trust God when there's no more phases. Like you just, you trust God, right? Lord willing, the new Grace Cafe and some of the work we've done in there, it's going to be open in someday before long. Lord willing, we're going to have food and people and hanging out. All the kids' rooms are going to be open up again. We'll have tons of kids again, tons of students. I mean, all this is coming. What will be important on that glorious day? Will it be about all those things? No. What's it really about? Trusting God. 
Trusting God. When it's a crisis, focus on what's core. And what's core is trusting God. We're prayerfully moving forward together. God is building this together. It's going to be glorious. I, I believe as God just brings things together, we're going to see so many people come to our church who have never been here before, and they're going to experience Jesus. It's going to be awesome. But we're just moving forward one step at a time, trusting God. It's never been about the building. It never has. And so we're reconnecting. Reconnecting. Now, part of trusting God is reconnecting. And when you think about reconnecting, I was listening to Timothy Keller this week, and he shared a message, and he pointed out that somewhere between 65 and 80% of churches in America are declining right now. Somewhere between 65 and 80%. And then I looked at this study. George Barna did this study. And during COVID, what's been happening in churches? Uh, George Barna said one-third of the people in churches have just stayed engaged, stayed connected. So, you know, weekend services online, life groups, different things we have, prayer. Uh, One-third of people in churches have just stayed connected. And then one-third of people in churches are just kind of church hopping because it's so easy online and just thinking about all the other churches are checking out all the messages, all the worship. Hmm, which one do I want to go to when COVID's done? So one-third of the people are church hopping. And then one-third of the people, just no engagement whatsoever. Like they were coming to church and they're just, they're just kind of faded and, and nothing's going on. And you look at that in the follow-up study, which was so interesting, is that the people who have just faded and no church connection anymore, they've just kind of faded, uh, and there's no judgment. Let's just reach out. Let's love each other. But the ones who have faded report this, a higher level of anxiety, a higher level of being bored, and a higher level of feeling insecure. The ones who have not stayed connected in prayer, fellowship, life groups, church, they report there's more anxiety. I feel more insecure. I feel more bored. I just feel more disconnected. And, and so that's, those are just I lay those out as just the real dynamics of where things are at this year. And uh, we want to um, reconnect, reconnect. And, and that reconnecting is really trusting. So when it comes to trusting, I've got a picture here of something we did this summer. It's had so much fun. It's a picture down in Oregon. Has anyone been down to the sand dunes in Oregon? Yeah, that's family right there, mass up. There we have it. That's the vehicle, one of the vehicles. Uh, let's see the next picture here. We've got grandma came along. So grandma's thumbs up. She's ready for the action. And as you look at these other pictures here, you'll see there's also a red vehicle, a yellow vehicle. There you start to see the sand dunes. And we were going fast, flying along the sand dunes. Uh, uh, and there's the, the driver. I think there's one more view of the driver. And so I'm, I'm in there and uh, thinking about this driver, right? I do not know the driver's name. I've never talked to the driver. I don't know the driver's driving record. I don't know how many times the vehicle's flipped over. I, I don't know if the driver's sober. I mean, there's just so many things that go through your mind when uh, the most you know, people you're closest to in life are suddenly getting into this vehicle and we're going to be flying around these sand dunes. We're going to be riding on the edge, descending fast. I found it afterwards going about 90 miles an hour, right? We're just flying through sand dunes and uh, all this action, I realized, wow, I am completely trusting the driver right now. And there's a trust element in life with God that is so important. And uh, by the way, we had a great time, no injuries. Uh, you know, it's kind of like our, our sand dunes life group right there. If your life group needs some fun this year, you might just want to go down and, and get in a ride for the sand dunes. But here's the difference that trust makes. I, when I just thought about the driver initially and I thought, wow, we're going fast. Like, whoa, we're, we're taking this turn really sharp. And I didn't trust him. There was no joy. I was holding on tighter. I was getting more tense and I couldn't relax and enjoy it. And then when there was an internal change of trust, 
All of a sudden, oh, trust. Now it's, wow, take it faster. How fast can we go? This is awesome. Like, let's do this. And the difference was internal trust. And I want to tell you in your relationship with God, the key difference every day so often is going to be internal trust. And it takes us from anxiety to joy to seeing his blessings to loving people. It comes down to abide and respond. When I was in the back of that vehicle and we go along the ocean and sand dunes, I would just, there's some shouts, shouts of joy that came out of that trust. And when we abide and respond, in Isaiah, I'm just going to refer to a couple of verses. You can check them out this week. Isaiah 65, 24, we abide in prayer. God knows the prayers we have before we even say them. That's the closeness in abiding. We abide as God guides us and shapes our lives. We are the clay, he is the potter. That's Isaiah 64, 8. Isaiah 63, 7 says, I will not be silent. I will speak of the kindness of my God. I will speak of the good works that my God has done. So as we abide, we're praying, we're listening to God. He's shaping our lives. We're sharing about his goodness. Abide and respond. We just I designed a new website, abideandrespond.com. It's just this week. We haven't even really promoted it all, but it just helps you as you create those habits in your life, that those habits of abiding make room for more of God in your life. And that's what it is. It's to equip you to strengthen your walk with God, abideandrespond.com. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And what do we need in our nation right now? Trust Jesus. We need to return to Jesus, turn to Jesus, trust Jesus. And God heals families, he heals souls, he heals uh, communities, he heals cities, he'll heal nations who will turn to the healer and receive and trust him. So a new name, a new trust that's deeper, and also a new home. And this new home, Isaiah 65, 17 through 19, and looking forward now, God says, behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. In other words, this earth is not our ultimate home. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. Little glimpses of the reality of heaven. We know Jerusalem now, but then this new Jerusalem. We know earth right now, but this new earth. We know our bodies right now, but the new bodies we're going to receive. These little glimpses that God keeps giving us. And it's not that we don't care about earth. We do. I mean, there's tears here because we care so much. There's pain and there's suffering. We read the sound of weeping now. There's a sound of weeping in our hearts and homes often now because we're hurting but we're crying out for restoration now, too. And Isaiah is really a cry, so often a prayer in this book. God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. God, would you just make a way, rend the heavens and come down. Now, Father sends his son and does that. But God, this year, this week, would you rend the heavens and come down with rain, with your peace, with your hope, with your vision for our lives, with restoration and families and our nation. God, would you rend the heavens and come down? It's a both and. It's right now on earth and it's looking forward to heaven. And it's both together. We've got to embrace both. And as they go into exile in Babylon, it's about 586 BC, the temple's destroyed. You know, they're in exile What's going to happen? The exile precedes the revival. The exile in Babylon 
precedes the revival as Nehemiah and Ezra come back and God restores and builds up Jerusalem and the temple and the people's walk with God, the exile, it, it precedes the revival. And how does that relate to us? I feel like we've been in exile in a lot of ways this year. Kind of some isolation, some distance, not connecting, wondering what's next. This is not normal. It's not usual. It's not where I want to be. Those feelings of exile. And the exile often precedes the revival. I believe that God could do something, what we see over the next year, that would be astoundingly good. Uh, When you think back to the last really revival and movement we see on the West Coast, the Jesus movement in the 1970s, what happened before that? It was social upheaval. There were assassinations. Dr. King, Kennedy. Uh, there, was, um, there, were, there were some riots. Uh, there was a Vietnam War. There were protests. There was a lot of unrest. And what happened after that? The Jesus movement on the West Coast, people turning to Jesus. We've gone through more unrest this year. So many different things happening. Where is this leading? When you pull back, and, and you know, let's say you're going to aim and you pull back the bow, it's like when you pull it back, that tension, you almost start to shake when you pull it back. It's like there's a pulling back right now. There's almost like a shaking. And, and I believe that God is going to move forward in power and influence and guide us on mission. And I believe that time's coming. So hold steady. Trust him. Trust him. It's what we see Babylon exile, it's what we see over and over again. Great awakenings in our country. And may we be on the verge of another one. May we be. All these fires, I looked at the map of Washington, there's just fires everywhere. May those physical fires become fires of revival in homes, in churches, in communities that we see over the next year. We don't want the physical fires. We want the spiritual fires. And, and ultimately, what is all this pointing towards? May earth be more like heaven. May the sound be more like heaven. And God's pointing the people to heaven. Don't forget about heaven. He says, Isaiah 66, verse 22, we're right at the end of Isaiah here. Last verse we're going to read. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord. I've seen so many people right now do it your home pro- do it do it yourself projects at home, right? How many people have done a few projects? Uh, that's a good thing. Do it yourself projects at home. I've seen so many people power washing. I've never seen so many people power washing. Uh, lawn projects, yard projects, all those are good things. But why? It's because we're longing for upgrade, improvement. We're longing for a dwelling that is just glorious in all those little projects, just a little, little foretaste of what is coming. And so God wants the people in exile, wants it to sink in that they have a new home. And it's not Babylon. It's not even the Jerusalem that they know. There's a new city. Architect is God. And he wants that to sink in. You say, well, what's the significance of heaven sinking in? Heaven sinks in and it speaks to the people that they will overcome. And we will overcome. And COVID will pass. And 2020 will pass. It speaks to the people that God is able to fulfill and he will fulfill. It speaks to the people that God is faithful with his promises and it's something that he's guaranteed this destiny. It speaks that God is a God of an abundance, not scarcity. That God is 
perfect and he's going to bring perfection that we've longed for finally because our relationships and our, you know, our churches, our cities, there's just so much that isn't perfect and we're longing for that. We're finally going to have an encounter with Jesus that's personal and close and we see him and he sees us. On the internet, I just keep seeing different pictures of what Jesus probably looked like. I'm tired of seeing pictures of what Jesus probably looked like. I want to see Jesus. I just want to see him. And then the joy and the safety and the eternity And this week, I've been thinking the clean air that's in heaven. All these things, home. What is the new thing God's doing? He gives you a new name. Why? So you have an identity that you trust him in a deeper way. And that you know, that you know, that you know that you're accepted, forgiven, and your home is in heaven. And no matter how hard hard this earth gets, you know where your home is. So we're going to abide together, respond together. And during a crisis, we're not going to focus on the periphery and every little conspiracy theory, but we're going to focus on Jesus, God's word, and loving each other. Let's pray. Father God, thank you how you guide us, shepherd us. You've been doing it, Lord. Your, your record is, is flawless. Faithful is who you are. Kind and gracious. Consider it. You know us. You pursue us before we're ever interested in you. Uh, before we ever give you our attention or our devotion or our heart, you pursue us and you're pursuing us now. Every one of us, you're pursuing us. And thank you that your words are, here am I. Here am I. And God, we hear your voice. You're here. We don't want to harden our hearts. God, I pray for next steps. It could be trusting you for the first time, Jesus. It could be baptism. It could be having a church home instead of wandering. It could be getting in a life group. God, as you guide us, We want to trust you. We want to walk by faith together. We want to abide and respond. Guide our decisions. Bring restoration in our hearts, in our homes, in our land. We look to you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.